Today on Accept the Mystery, screenwriter and producer Margaret Nagel joins Jackie and I to finish off the first season of the acclaimed TV series Fargo, Aces. JFIO presents. What? Are you kidding? We got us a family here. This ain't no coon, huh? Okay, I'm not going to sit here and debate. I'll show you the life of a mind. You will find the fortune. It would not be the fortune you seek. I suppose you think you're when I've raised hell, you'll know it. Something is very wrong. I don't want Santana Abraxas. I've just been in a terrible auto accident. What's the most you ever lost in the coin toss? Sometimes knowledge is Accept the mystery. The Coen Brothers Podcast. This is Accept the Mystery. It's the Coen Brothers Podcast where we talk about every single Coen Brothers movie and TV projects that are just tangentially related to Coen Brothers movies and absurd, ridiculous, crazy levels of detail. My name is Josh Richmond. Sitting across from me, we've got my co-host... First of all, hi. The lovely talent, talent, talented, like told say. Hello. We're in uh, we're in all black everything. <laughs> and her nihilist. And her nihilist t-shirt because she doesn't care. That's right. She believes in nothing. Uh-huh. We were gonna do we're gonna do our Lebowski Fest episode later. Yeah. So you'll hear all about that and the origin of that t-shirt. <laughs> but we should also introduce our special guest today, who is. An acclaimed screenwriter and producer, she wrote last year's film, The Good Lie. She developed the show Red Band Society. If her Wikipedia page can be believed, she's the scion of a millennium-old British royal bloodline? Holy crap. Uh, Margaret Nagel, welcome to the show. Hi, how are ya? Good. Welcome. So, so are, you, are you descended on the matriarchal side from the House of Plantagenet, like it, it says on your page? Yes, I am. That's awesome. I know, and it's, <laughs> it's not just one, it's a whole boatload of them. I'm actually, I am the great... 20th great-granddaughter of Braveheart. Whoa. Whoa. I know. And uh, along with King John and Henry and all these people. And, <laughs> and one of my grandfathers saved the life of Henry VIII. Whoa. Uh, Edmund Holy. Moody. And he's a very famous guy. And they he gave him knighthood and land. And yeah, my mother's family is just blue, 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 blue blood. Wow. Crazy town. So, <laughs> so bees would not bite you. You're not going to get that unless you saw Jupiter ascending. I'm just doing that to another Jackie. <laughs> so annoying. Okay. The worst. In that, in that okay. movie, bees are like royal bloodline detectors, and they won't bite anybody who has pure royal blood. Well, I do have a bleeding disorder, though, <laughs> which people would always joke about. They go, oh, what are you, member of the royal family? And then I didn't find out until much later. They go, oh, no, I am a member of the royal family. <laughs> that is actually a thing. I think that is like associated with yes, that. Yes, it wow. is. It right. is. So That's so crazy. <laughs> it's really weird. Pure blood doesn't clot. There you go. So. Um... <laughs> Awesome. Well, because we have a slightly limited amount of time, I want to just dive right into this. Let's get into our very first segment where we get to know our guests a little bit better. It's a segment called Inside Margaret Nagel. We start off episode number nine. The two episodes we're covering today are nine and ten. We start with uh, Malvo getting to know his new friends and taking a trip to Las Vegas. I'm curious, Margaret, what do you think of Las Vegas? Do you have a good time there? Do you think it's like weird? Well, no, I actually, I wrote a pilot about Las Vegas uh, for Peter Berg. And, <laughs> oh, wow, uh, called okay. Vegas Baby. And I went to Vegas and I met the mayor, the lawyers, the, I went I knew that. I knew that was a smart question to ask. <laughs> yes, so I'm patting myself questions. on the back here. That's a crazy town question. So I <laughs> wanted to write about the people who live and work there every day, the political structure, how the Mormons are actually the deep, dark secret of who's running Vegas, that all the mobsters, oh, yeah 
yeah. or at the old folks home. I mean, and, Cal- and California, too. I mean, yeah, they have so much influence. They have so much influence. So, uh, yeah, I got to go. I got to go to the fights. I got to hold the prize money. I got mm-hmm. like I've I've been there. I've been up on that floor where you look down at the gamblers through the floor with the cameras. There's some there's a floor that you don't know about on top oh, of the. Uh, casino and where they can watch everybody to see if anybody's, every, counting, if anybody's counting cards everything or, wow. e- absolutely uh, who the hooker is if someone's <laughs> touching inappropriately everything you watch and wow. uh, I you mean, do get the feeling being in those casinos it really is it's like a panopticon you know there's just somebody watching you for, at all times they are watching you at all times from <laughs> the second you come in the door yeah. and uh, so uh, I had an absolute Vegas to me is fascinating when yeah. you go in on that level when you're the person that never leaves because you know everybody leaves and you stay what is it like to be the person that has to stay right mm-hmm. the people who live in like old vegas who, who yes. work at the strip at the strip hotels and i went to black vegas as well which is a whole other strip and then a whole other culture there and then um i went to don rickles house uh his not his he has this crappy house that he still has there and um so it's pretty it's pretty amazing and i flew there on the stripper plane the strippers go in on friday afternoon and they leave on sunday morning Whoa. and they don't sleep the whole time and it's the right. That's thing. right. They do. They fly. They fly like strippers in from like across like across from, the country. Yeah, I mean the Southwest out of Burbank. That's the stripper flight. <laughs> right on uh, Friday. Oh man! And so I so and, and I suddenly I looked around and uh, the person I was with was like everyone look around and I was like oh, I just thought they're all these sweet young girls going in for the weekend you know and I'm saying like oh my god they're all strippers and this one stripper her bag was packed too tight and it wouldn't fit in the overhead and the stewardess just started getting in a screaming match and she opened it up and she started taking out you know tiny clothes right. that, oh, and, and the stewardess it was clear the stewardess's dealt with these girls all the time yeah and my last job i got to know a lot of porn stars and yeah vegas was like a second home where they just went all the time all the time so vegas is fascinating but don't think that you can like go there and get away from something there's like this naive idea that Mm. oh i'm gonna go to vegas from omaha and i'm gonna like it's like no no no. everybody in vegas (laughs) knows exactly what you just did wow that's so creepy it's actually it's a city that's always really weirded me out and i felt very uncomfortable and it's just it's such an it's like this artificial city that's been plopped down in the middle of the desert basically just like this kind of constructed oasis full of weird acts that peaked in the 70s and it's either you're like you got to either be really old to have a good time or you got to be you know really young with just a, a ton of money to lose or you're there with Peter Berg. You know, like, <laughs> or that. Or you're, or, that. or you're developing a pilot. That's option yeah. number three. That's actually a great, really fun reason. Yeah, that's there. a good way to do it. The last time I went was for a bachelorette party. I'm not a big Vegas person. I know that's very shocking to everybody. But I'm not we shocked. did it like a bachelorette party for one of my best friends. And it was sort of like a tongue-in-cheek one. But we went to like Thunder from Down Under, which is the weirdest situation ever. Have you been to that? No. It's horrible. It's like... A room full of women who are oh, is freaking that, is out that like over the these Chippa, the strippers. Thing? Yeah, but like these, they're like male strippers who are like probably gay because they're like too sculpted and like good looking to be like straight men, but they're also kind of short and like these women are just like obsessed with the thongs in their faces. I don't know. It's really also really what creepy. kind of job where you're just hanging out with other mostly naked guys all the time. If you're gay, that's like the greatest job possible. Well, okay, I guess. But no, I was having this conversation with somebody recently too, where apparently a lot of male strippers are gay. I don't know if that's true or not, but I could see how that's true. But it's just. It was awful. But if you're laughing at it, it's fun. Well, I went to this strip club with all these guys. What, what's the really, really nice one? Like the super oh. nice. And it's owned by, oh God, they own the hamburger place in Westwood. The the, people, <laughs> the hamburgers that everybody loves in LA. In and out? Yes, in and out. What? 
the 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 family that owns it out. Wait, is it, aren't they? They're like it's a Christian organization that owns it out. Yeah, well, right? the Mormons run Vegas, guys. So I mean, I you love know, this. So, yeah, but anyway, the, no, but the Jews founded Vegas. Right, they did. We found created Vegas. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Josh is taking a stand. It's a Jew Mormon co-production. <laughs> they're all the strippers are coming over. These guys and they're and I'm like, do you guys have health insurance? Do you get herpes from the pole? Are you, are oh. you getting enough breaks? <laughs> oh and all, all the men I'm with are like. Shut up! You are like <laughs> ruining. Them. I said these could be your daughters. I want to know they have insurance. Yeah. And who takes care of them? And blah blah blah. Oh blah. my god! And they're just like I'm like handing out their money. They're like I t- I'm handing them all money without having to strip or do a lap dance yeah. or anything. And oh well. Oh, yeah. it's so funny. No, You're the party pooper. I was a big party pooper. <laughs> it is, but that's how that's how I feel whenever I go because other guys are having a great time, but I always feel distracted by like their slot machine noises going off constantly and the lights never dim and it's like it's twenty four. It's like probably how it feels to like live in alaska during the summer it's like there's no nighttime and my entire sense of time just goes away and it's it really throws me off my husband hates vegas like that too yeah mm. I, I can see that. I, I played penny slots with Octavia Spencer the last time I was in Vegas. <laughs> nice. We started winning all these like hundreds of pennies, and of oh, course man. Octavia's like, ah! and I'm like, I don't know. It was really fun, but that's about that. Yeah. We almost missed our flight. Over a hundred pennies. Octavia, we have to go get on the plane. Right. Yeah. Like the the cost to like change your ticket would be way more than the hundreds of pennies. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she just, we just won. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, so then later, Malvo comes back to Bemidji later in that episode, and he's now driving a red BMW, which makes me ask, what's your favorite car you've ever owned? My BMW. Is it the one you own, <laughs> the one you have now? I don't have it now. I wish I did, but I, I loved this BMW. And I also, I also I'm, this is really bad, I loved a Ford Explorer that I had. It sounds stupid, but it was... That's not bad. That's not a good car. That's stupid. What's dumb, what's dumb about that? I'm a car person. I'm really into cars. I grew up in California. I name cars. My questions are car. so on point right now. I'm just going to give like, myself a big pat on yeah. the back as an interviewer. So yeah. I'm actually... Um, you know, I, I've had... I almost wrote a, a Cars movie. I've always wanted to write a movie about cars. Because the point of view of cars. Because I think each car has its own personality and life. And takes, you know... Totally. Relationship gets bought by the wrong person. They hate them. They bang themselves up yeah. a lot to try and get sold you know I, i'm always yeah. you know but as a kid i was just obsessed with cars yeah i like cars too margaret inspired me to name my car you wait you named your car yeah because margaret inspired me to what's your car called guess is it the, the, a nihilist the nihilist car no, no. it's heidi how was I going to guess that? I don't know. I Why would I have guessed Heidi? Guess it. Okay. Heidi. Did you just see Heidi with her braids? She's a little <laughs> yeah. German car. Yeah. You know, she's like, you know. Heidi was my ex-stepmom's name, and that's the only association oh. I have with that. <laughs> I see why I wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> my car right now, his name is Simon. Oh, I like that. Oh, Simon. Yeah. Is it, um, is it red and green and blue and yellow like the game? No, no. <laughs> it's not. It's gray. I went with a gray car. Mine's gray, too. Yeah, it's pretty. It's very pretty. The Toyota Prius I I was driving before I crashed it last year was, um, it was gunmetal gray. That's nice. Which... I which I liked at first. It was like, ooh, gunmetal. Wow, that's <laughs> yes. cool. It's like manly and macho. And then after a couple of weeks, I, I when I when I couldn't find my car in parking lots because I got the most nondescript color possible. I'm like, I just got a gray car. I could have done like a, I could have got a way more exciting color option. Well, I ended up being disappointed. I would have gone with blue, but they're not the the blue was like it's all about that really bright cobalt blue, and I'm yeah. just like I'm not really ready to rock that car. Yeah, right. I know it's and there's there aren't many like great like. It's all like weird, bright, kind of gaudy colors. Yeah, it's yeah. like the orange, and then there's that brown. 
have you seen the new brown a lot of cars are but i was like oh it looks like a big poop you yeah know? <laughs> yeah i don't car. like brown on cars not brown on unless there were those cars like the wood with the wood panels oh but the interior oh, those yeah. are so yeah. amazing those are cool they those gotta bring those back yeah, those are nice. They brought them back, like, on the PT Cruiser. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, yeah. 12 years ago, maybe, something like that. Yeah, they did have them on the PT Cruiser. But that Prius actually was, I think, the favorite. I really like the experience of driving a hybrid car. Yeah, I love, I've had hybrids, and I love them. But, boy, they charge a lot for a hybrid and a bigger car. Mm. So, we have one hybrid and one not hybrid. They do. Oh, that, yeah. That's the downside. Luckily, I like driving, like, small, zippy cars. I think you can empathize with that. Yeah. So, yeah, having, like, a little hybrid, and I love that it doesn't make any noise. Again, this would be going off on noise pollution twice, but I like having, I don't need the engine sound. And the only engine sound you hear on the hybrids are, it's artificial. They put the engine sound in there because they needed to make a little bit of noise. But if you wanted to, it could be 100% silent. And I would love that. I was once parking my hybrid at Warner Brothers and I was on a conference call with everybody and I was, I had a pilot being shot and I was like, oh, I, I continued the call and then I got out of the car and I wasn't, you know, I was supposed to be in my office. Right. So, and I, I snuck into my office, left the car on. Oh, no. Okay. Who knows how to jump a hybrid? Not a lot of people do at that point. This was like 2010. And, uh, yeah. but luckily, uh, Transpo at Warner Brothers, they were Transpo on the last series I'd done at Warner Brothers. So mm-hmm. I called there and I used to make Transpo cookies all the time mm-hmm. on my show. And so they, I called and he goes, Hi, it's Jonathan. I'm like, oh, Jonathan, it's Margaret. Oh, my God. What are you doing? And he came over and he like jumped the car. And, oh, my um, God. But I mean, I was like, I've left that thing on more than once. It was very, very Oh, my God, I would do that, too, 100%. Yeah, no, it is. I I have actually done that before. It is. uh, That's the one downside of the hybrid thing is it's not always easy to tell when it's still running and when it's not. Yeah. Is Jackie's your new car your favorite car you've ever had? It sure is. There you go. That's the right answer. She deserves that car. Thank you. You do. You do. No, you absolutely do. Yeah. I drove like my dad had um, a 7 Series back in the day that I drove. And that was fun because I was like a teenager and it was a few years old. But it was also like big. So it wasn't as fun. But like a 3 Series is like small and zippy and fun. So I drove a 3 Series for a long time. I was a big fan. I love it. All right. One last question. So there's one little detail. And it's a moment I love in the middle of episode 9 where uh, Malvo is visiting Lester's old house and sees the kids who live there now and tells them, you know, a guy was murdered here once, and you could still hear the moans coming from the basement if you listen real close at night. I'm just freaking the hell out of the kids. Um, Margaret, are you a fan of like horror movies or ghost stories at all? I like ghost stories. I don't <laughs> love horror films, but I do write violent stuff, But uh, which mm. I don't know where that comes from, and I've been told that I'm very violent and, oh. and gross out in some things that I've I feel I've like at least the things that you've written that I've watched haven't been very violent. Well, the Boardwalk Empire episodes that I wrote, I had the the torture scene in the dentist chair, which is really when they this guy has been shot and his belly is open and they put him in a dentist chair and they shoot him full up of uh, epinephrine to try and get him to talk right. before he dies to mm. <laughs> ID the murderer. And when he won't do it, they um, uh, Van Alden, played by Michael Shannon, uh, puts his fist in his gut and turns it oh a my god of times. I would be closing my eyes. And in post-production, uh, Tim Van Patten, he put in all this... It was all this... Oh God! It's, it's really no, it's it's always. I actually have been watching the Americans lately, and they had. Oh a, my! They go there. They have, there was a moment earlier oh. in the season actually where they were like taking a body apart, and you and the sound design. Did you is, hear that? Sound? Yeah, the sound design oh, is what made it like God. the gristle of the bone snapping apart. It's this. That's what it is. Often just just hearing the noise is enough to just set your skin on edge. Well, I'm, I'm a big. I love sound in all TV and film, and yeah. I'm, I'm really 
uh, I'm sound sensitive like you, so um, this particular episode, people were very, all the bloggers, they were all like, this This is so, this kind of violence, it was so shocking, and, you know, Mm. and again, I think of violence the way a woman thinks of violence, which is, all right, uh, it's a it's a slightly different approach because you're you're working with less and your brain works differently mm-hmm. and so uh, this was like well how do they get him to talk they get him to they're gonna shoot him up with drugs how do they get him in how do they there's a moment it was cut from the script where they were trying to find his shirt in the dumpster at the hospital and because they thought if they could see who the dry cleaner was printed in the shirt mm. then they could id who this guy was right and they go in there and nucky find they find all these organs and they're like oh god there was an appendix in there and <laughs> oh, there were kidneys god. and th- this that and the other thing and they were like margaret that's simply too gross <laughs> i would be freaking out so why do you think that's when you say like a, a woman's approach to violence? What do you think that makes that a woman's approach? Um, to violence? Well, like in in the Good Lie, I didn't want to see a bunch of kids being shot or you know dropping dead of starvation. So uh, there's a scene where they drink their urine, and right. I'll never forget a director having read that script saying that's you know a, a huge director who directs really violent films like the biggest said to me. Um, that's more upsetting than he was like. That's more upsetting than anything I ever put in one of my films. <laughs> I was like, you made those children drink urine, and I was like, but they did drink urine, and, right. and it kind of yeah. it's sort of you show them do that, and it's a really neat, compact shot, and it's horrifying, and it's upsetting, and it's better than you know watching one of their arms fall off or. So you're you know saying I mean? maybe you're out. saying it's something that's more kind of grounded in reality. It's not necessarily violence for the sake of cool badass explosions. That's right, and, yeah. and you know, although I like cool badass explosions, but we've seen them before. Yeah. Right. See, I always think the thing with violence, and you have to be really careful in your writing and your show, is that it it it's not it's not about trying to top one another. Mm. It's too much of the same thing over and over again it's not about desensitizing people to violence it's just not as dramatically interesting because if you really go out and you read a lot of you know about a lot of grisly murders or events things happen that are really unexpected there is still the unexpected that will happen and if you're a writer and you have an opportunity to put something on screen try and go make it really believable within the context of what's happening but also use the moment not just to have somebody explode but to move the story along or move the character along or 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 tell something about your character. Well, it's interesting you say that. You know, part of the reason I brought this question up is just on Friday night, I watched a really cool new horror movie called It Follows that's been getting a lot of fantastic press, which is, there's very little conventional violence in it. It's very much kind of a psychological horror movie. You know, it's about kind of these teens who are following this, uh, who are being followed by this kind of specter. It's all the shocks are just from anticipation, you know, from seeing what is ha- what is about to happen to the characters what what uh this thing that this force that you know is coming even if you can't see it yet um and it's it's a really really cool well-told story that doesn't rely on any of those badass shocking gore moments yeah well yeah yeah, it's like the third man you know that's a that's a movie where you're just like it's all about shadows and and things that suddenly are normal become creepy and yeah. you know and then you, you bring just putting, putting yourself in like the psychological mindset of these characters and then everything takes on a new perspective and i think that sometimes directors and writers they fall so in love with oh here's the shot and here's how it's going to happen and it's like again is it show is it giving us more about the character is it telling us more about the story how how are we moving things along are we just stopping for you know a big explosion which you can do that too but (laughs) yeah you might as well use it 
uh, because then it's always going to be more impactful, which is like what the Coen brothers sold to. They'll, the, the violence, like when you think about, uh, like before I write anything, I always watch the movie Fargo. It's actually a, a real template for me mm. because all the violence comes out of character. Like Steve Buscemi, every act of violence he commits in that film is so in keeping with that guy's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the level of desperation he keeps moving up and moving up and moving up as right. it closes this is, in on him. For sure. You know, it's not a real story, but part of the reason you have that real story disclaimer in the beginning is because all these all these shocks and all these violent moments are supposed to... Like, these are how real criminals act. Yeah, this is how violence actually realistic. happens. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, yeah. that, that opening disclaimer tells you that you're about to be in, enveloped in a story. It's like... I, I would say it's like a dude fairy tale, or it's like, it's like <laughs> a version of a fairy tale, truly, because... A fairy tale is reeks of truth. It's all a fairy tale has so much truth in it. Like, we have stepmothers that don't (laughs) like us very much. Mm, We have stepbrothers and sisters who really want to see us out on the street, who don't want, you know, people have. And so I feel like Fargo. There are crazy people who live in gingerbread houses of each other. Yes, yeah. But they do. (laughs) And like, their life is bullshit. It's built on cake. And um, so I think that like Fargo is. You know, it's like this intimate epic where it, um, there's something about all of it that's really true. And Mm -hmm. so that, and if you have it really grounded in truth, then you can go off into these really, these crazy places. But again, I think all the, the violence in Fargo is so beautifully rendered because it's the, the limitations of the characters as emotionally and within the story emotionally character storyline is all exhibited by the violence that they choose so if you're going to pick up a rock you've (laughs) got to be like out there in the desert and the only thing you've got is this rock and you're yeah you know what i mean it's just it's always better it's more resonant it's the movies we talk about yeah jackie i know you're not usually a fan of violence i hate violence in movies as we know i mean i I don't know if you noticed, Mark, but when I'm watching TV or watching a movie that's violent, I literally just like cover the screen. Josh sees this every time because I really hate violence and I can't stand it. But I as, do too. As we're talking about, you know, the anticipation of violence too, that's why I didn't watch Sopranos for a really long time because there's not that much violence in it. But I always felt like, oh my God, someone's going to get whacked. Oh my God, someone's going to get whacked. <laughs> right. Because there was always that overtone of something bad is going to happen. And I feel like that's a lot more effective too. Um, but I mean, I think Fargo the TV show is like excessively gory. I understand why it has to be, but for me, it's so hard to watch. But it works. But yeah, so I oh, accept yeah. It. During like all of like episode nine, you were watching through your fingers. Like, yeah. Oh Which actually, this is probably as good a segue as we're going to get to talking about our uh, TV episodes of the week <laughs> in a segment called The Big Review Ski. I like that quick cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just talk about the tension of episode nine, which is actually one of my favorite episodes in the series, because there's there's that one really big gory moment with the murders at the very beginning, right? Um, yes, I'm trying to think of everything that happened. Where, right with you know the three characters, oh yeah, yeah, and yeah the two other characters should yeah. be at the very beginning, and then Malvo just kills them, right? You know, very yeah, shocking. Do you really want this to happen? But yeah. then for the rest of the episode, until until the very end of that episode, there's no more violence. But nonetheless, just the fact you know Malvo's coming back to Bemidji. Yeah. Every time you see, a, like, a silent scene, every time you see, like, the, you know, the the Salverson Grimley family, the new family, like, just eating together, being happy, there's so much tension in those scenes. Yeah. And it's 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 a really hard episode to watch, just for that reason. Oh, yeah, because you always in think everyone's going to die. 
That's how I thought. Yeah. No. I thought Molly's whole family was going to get destroyed. Yeah. No. I, w- I was watching it with you, and you and as soon as you saw them, you're like, no, please don't let anything <laughs> happen to them, please. I know. And then I won. It's like <laughs> Noah Holly was listening to me. <laughs> they, Thanks, Noah. They don't always listen. Let me tell I you, know. they don't. No, they got their they got their happy ending. I know. You, you thought they weren't going to. I think you've been conditioned from watching so many Coen Brothers movies now. Oh yeah. One of the protagonists has to get killed at some point, right? I know. It really it really doesn't happen. I thought maybe like Gus would get killed or something in like trying to save everyone. Right. Well, right. once you see Gus like sneaking into Balvo's house, and you're like, yes, yeah, something's Gus. Something's I know. I was like, go no, down. he's gonna kill Gus too. Gus, don't do it. But no, man. And uh, yeah, it's. The, the music choices in episode nine, there's a lot of actually horror style music. These like very high pitched horror strings, these like just the these little moments of tension and it's drawn out and it's paced so perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, that was a scary episode for sure. Mm-hmm. It was shocking. It was shocking to watch. And it was it was uh, it was really well shot actually mm-hmm. i kept i always i'm always looking at things technically going oh look at how he did that look at oh look where he put the camera and uh that when you reveal them all sitting there having dinner and they're so <laughs> sweet and they're so middle america and yeah. like you know you go oh my god i haven't seen these characters like this before and now no, you've, now you've, they have everything to lose yeah you've seen yeah. you've seen molly and gus mostly separate so far but now molly's about to have a kid and they're such a happy couple and like you know, Gus's daughter suddenly has a mother figure and a grandfather figure, and it's so it's so perfect. And you just it's like, well, things are really working out for these guys. Why is this maniac coming back to town to ruin everything? No, I thought for sure he's going to kill them. <laughs> I was oh, I was so upset during that episode. <laughs> I was actually upset until the end. No, I know you were, yeah, because you, you just thought, oh god, the other shoe's got to drop at some point. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't, and and maybe we could just start getting into that now because. A lot of people who loved the entire series didn't love the finale. Yeah. And the main reason for that was they were upset that Molly never met Malvo. There was never a confrontation between your main protagonist and your main antagonist. Molly's not really part of the action that gets Malvo caught, or that gets Lester caught, really. Right. She gets gets her big promotion. She gets proven right. In that sense, she has a very satisfying career ending, or arc ending here at the end of the season. But I think a lot of people wanted her to take a more active role in taking one or both of them down. And I can't figure out why he didn't do it. He talked about, uh, in one interview, about Joseph Campbell, and he said, I didn't want to go down that hero's journey. I didn't want to give her the hero's journey. Mm. Um, And it's like, but... I don't know. That didn't feel like a really good... Because he'd built up this character. We'd invested in her. We were invested in who she was as a detective, as right. a human being. And to to leave her out of the relationship with the really the most interesting character in the show that we never really got to know. That's one thing is I feel like we never got to know Billy Bob Thornton well enough. And that, you know, when you have Billy Bob Thornton and he's that good, yeah. you start to... You know, he rewrote a lot. He wrote a lot of the show... Uh, before it was shot and then when you have yeah i, I, an feel, actor I feel like, like he really planned the whole thing out he did before. plan the whole yeah. thing out but i think when you have an actor like billy bob thornton and you go oh you wait you mean i got that actor oh geez yeah. hang on now i've got it because you're casting last right so then you've got to go i have to go write more that's worthy of billy bob thornton and by the way he was incredible oh yeah incredible. yeah incredible so incredible i liked I liked the fact he was mysterious. I liked the fact you didn't know too much about him. I liked that he was a little bit more like some like a de- a devil figure or like Satan incarnate almost than than an actual man or a human being up until the very end where he just kind of gets killed. 
He seems like this mythical, larger-than-life force, and part of that is because you don't know too much about him. But that's why it felt you really needed a showdown with him and Molly. Like you really yeah. needed her to say, "Why are you so? Why are you so bad? Why? What's wrong with you?" I mean, it's like you have that incredible <laughs> moment in the movie of Fargo where she she's driving him back in the police car, and and what's the line she says exactly about for a little bit of money? Yeah, just, just for a little bit of money. Just for a little bit. And of it's money. a it's a beautiful day. It's yeah. such a beautiful day. It's, 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 it's an, but you needed, in, it, it, I mean, this didn't need that, but you needed Molly to rise up and hold that gun to his head, and you needed her to pull the trigger. And it's interesting that he had Gus. I, it, I don't know what he was thinking. I, I understand why critics were, you know, frustrated. Mm. I mean, people loved the show. They, it had mm-hmm. so much goodwill going for it, but it did seem out of he that's not what he was building the story to yeah it was definitely it was unexpected i thought for sure we were building to some big showdown between them in the very final episode and it never came yeah i i agree with that too i think that would have been more expected but for me personally it worked because i was so scared for molly towards the end like the fact that she was pregnant and like that to me just kind of struck a chord that i was like oh my god i just wanted to be safe right and i was happy that like it worked out that gus was also kind of like hey I decided to be a postman that totally worked for their family, but he kind of like, it seemed like he did this, you know, for her and for the family. So that was kind of like, it was a little bit of like, I guess, Gus's hero journey. I don't know. But because that's true. When you think it was it, more of like their family unit right. made this happen. I mean, so it, that shifted it. You go, he set it up in the pilot. I mean, it, in the episode, you know, episode two or whatever, he passes up Bolly, Billy Bob. He, yeah, no, he no, lets it's, him go. It is in the pilot. So yeah, it is the, the, the pilot. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's, he ha- he's has to make right a wrong right. Yeah. And it's and, like flashing right. through his mind how he saw him driving so, by. And, and that's, and that's where, you know, Noah clearly for him, for that, you know, he, that was the thing that he had, the itch he had to scratch. Yeah. Gus has a very internal journey through the course of the season, basically. He has that moment where he kind of uh, let, you know, maybe uh, failed as a police officer and, you know, failed to pos- prevent all the violence that came afterwards. And we talked a bunch about that in Jackie, where you thought he maybe made the right decision, not getting himself killed, you know, for the sake of his daughter. Yeah. I thought that was the brilliance of the pilot. Was yeah. that right. I went, oh my God, we've never seen this before. We <laughs> yeah, have right. not seen, not, not that people haven't done it in real life, but we've never seen it in the with our hero character you know at the end of the pilot you go oh my god these we haven't seen people in these dilemmas we haven't seen people make these choices and it's why people responded to the show with the kind of right love and passion and you know yeah everything but you know gus blinks making that tough decision and you can see him wrestling with it in every episode that comes afterwards and yeah he's actually he's He's a very small part of episodes 9 and 10. You only see him a couple of times, and it's like, you know, that moment where he sees Malvo driving through, and then later on, he's thinking about it, and he's just kind of like, you can see the gears turning. Yeah, like, and he found I gotta him do and something. Went to the I gotta do something. And then, uh, and then, and then he finally, uh, he pulls it out, and he kills him, and he gets his man, and it's like, it's kind of like he's writing the karmic wrong that happened in the pilot. And in that sense, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, I think it's a great journey for that character. Even yeah, if, what about Molly? Even if maybe it did underserve Molly. But I also think that it's so f- incredible that, you know, again, I'm going back to Noah Hawley going, I'm introducing the other lead in my pilot at the end of my series at the end of the pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his journey is, how is he going to right the wrong we're going to watch him make? How does he come full circle? Because he is a real hero and he is the ordinary man and a common man and all those things. Yeah. And then I think this actress they cast is Molly. 
just grabbed everyone's heart as the show came on, which happens sometimes. You'll cast someone. Yeah. And it was, you know, she was a completely unexpected yeah. find, that actress. No, total unknown. A total unknown. She leaps forward everyone fell in love with her she she was really flawless in the part so it made the part bigger more important it it you know shifted the weight oh yeah within the series do you understand so just by by virtue so that you're asking if you like if you read the whole thing on paper and you hadn't seen it cast you would think this was hit you know colin hanks's journey and that it would be very satisfying on paper when he kills Billy Bob Thornton. Right. But then they cast this actress as Molly, who just is mm. stealing every scene that she's in by the, that that beautiful face, that subtext that's always going on behind those enormous eyes. And you're like, where is she? So you, the viewer has a different response than what's on paper. You right. understand? So I think that's what happened. It's really interesting. I could see both of your guys' perspectives the thing that ultimately tips me to thinking, I think I think Noah Hawley actually made a smart move here, is that I love that conversation where Molly is, she's like about to head out with the rest of the team, but then Gus calls her and, sa- and, and talks her out of it, saying, you know, I, you've done all this work, every, you know, you're proven right, there's so many other cops there, and now, but now you have responsibilities, it's like, I, you know, um, I, can't, I don't want my daughter to go to another funeral. Oh, yeah, and, it was such a good callback to yeah. the yeah. fact that he walked, I mean, that he didn't go after Malvo to begin with. And so she backs down. And and maybe if she had gone out, maybe, like, she would have, like, shot Malvo, but then been killed instead. And what sort of happy ending is that? And in the end, she kind of, maybe she made the right decision there. I mean, she's the, ha- I mean, Bob Odenkirk, I thought that, like, can we talk about his monologue when he said oh, yeah. scene of him mm-hmm. sitting at the desk crying, <laughs> saying, I'm, I'm no good at my job. Yeah. I'm not, I don't yeah. have it anymore. Yeah, I just want to, you know, like, eat, eat, eat pancakes and, you know. Oh, that was <laughs> such a great piece of writing. Yeah. That was his good, and he was so solid. He didn't overact it. He kind of backed off the idea that he's, you know, and, and Noah Hawley, you know. He, he's been killing it at Better Call Saul, too. Who knew that guy could act as well oh as he does? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just beautiful. I was like, how can you not have him back on the show? And then he starts <laughs> going with the monologue, and I'm like going, Oh, he's leaving. Oh, well, this is why he could do better. Oh, my God, he's so good. He's so good. He's so good. It's just so unexpected. There are these unexpected moments of humanity in this show that Noah Hawley inserts that are very truthful. Like, uh, at the wake in uh, the beginning in the pilot, they cut to the... Or it's episode two, sorry. They cut to the food they're serving and that the TV's on hockey (laughs) <laughs> and there's like all mm-hmm. these like three different macaroni and cheese casseroles like everybody brought a different their family mm. and it's just these moments that the specificity to which he writes to the world without ever coming down on them or condescending to them is also part of the texture and the richness of what makes the show so great yeah oh and that's and that's straight from the movie too right. you know uh because that all those details are you know uh when uh when marge like goes to the buffet at the radisson and oh, is getting all yeah. this food um oh, it's great i think we talked about it a bit of the fargo episode but yeah the talk you know the fact that movie relied so much on things like food and tv and these kind of very basic comfort. very human comforts um 
as kind of as kind of their embodiment of what like a good decent midwestern person should be and also you know because of the fact you can't go outside as much as you want you don't have all these different kinds of cuisine (laughs) available to you i mean my family's from the midwest so i know this my uh, dad's from south dakota so you can imagine oh you're right you're right around there you know and then Mm. uh my mother's from the ozarks and they, you know, there's nothing. So they watch, you know, it's always what can you make with Lipton's onion soup and sour cream, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know? And then you, it's all this rich, immediate, sweet or salty, sweet or salty yeah, all yeah. the time, you know, incredibly filling. I think that was the a big line drawn between our good guys and our bad guys in the story is that the good guys are always looking out for each other and the bad guys are always looking out for themselves, number one, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, it really got crystallized in that monologue that Molly gives to Lester or that's the anecdote she relates to Lester in the in the finale, talking about the glove. Um, Wait, what did she say about the glove? She, okay, she tells the story of like, okay, there's a man on a train. Oh, yeah, yeah, I dropped yeah. And, he, yeah. and he drops yeah, yeah. one glove out the window. Sorry, yeah. What does he do? And Lester's like, I don't know, buys a new glove. And she's like, no, he dro- she drops the other glove so that somebody can have a, a full pair. Yeah. And it's like, he can't understand that. You know, the idea of like, you know, any sort of self-sacrifice to help the common good. And that's outlined pretty strongly here. And it's that's a beautiful thing about this show where you don't expect... And that's where Noah Hawley, I think, what separates the men from the boys is he's really saying something with this. And yeah. maybe even more than the Coen brothers were, even though they're from Minnesota. But, <laughs> you know, the Coen brothers say it one way and he says it's like using... What, what's ballsy is that he <laughs> took another artist's material yeah. and said, "Could I? I'm so inspired by this. As all writers love the movie, I, I can pretty much say I've never sure. met a writer who didn't find the movie Fargo to be so deeply right. Yeah. No, I think I think a lot of people have been inspired by that, by that movie, but it's a different thing to say I'm going to do a whole TV series like directly inspired by yeah. that movie. Well, Ron said it so well when he was on. How he said it, the TV show is just the movie on its side, and it That's works right. so well, mm-hmm. like because there's those parallels and there's the similarities. But I I love the direction that he takes it and makes it his own, and is really ballsy about doing that. It is. It's an interesting. It is an interesting process. It is a type of TV series we haven't. We ha- really haven't seen on TV much. Um, I, I know Margaret that you had some things that you wanted to say just about like the process of of Noah Hawley kind of putting this all together. Well, um, he sort of went and came up with the idea before he went and asked permission, which is. <laughs> he was deeply, deeply mm. inspired. Right. I mean, what what happened is he got this inspiration and, and said, I could do this. I know I could do this. And he, he worked out somewhat of a pitch and then went in and to Fox and to FX and they, they got the permission from the Coen brothers. And then they had him go off and write an even bigger you know piece of material about it. And then he said, I, what I need is four writers for 12 weeks. And what they did is they broke the entire season that way, which is what we did at Boardwalk Empire season one. We sat in a room before the pilot was shot and we broke the whole season and mm. and sat so that it was Terry's show. Every every episode was Terry's. It was all set for him. Right. And then um and then what Noah Hawley did is he went back to John Landgraf with like uh, he had like a hundred and thirty page document uh, of every. Here's what the season. yeah no it was like some insane you know beat yeah. by beat like the entire story and then uh, and he said they talked for three hours and then uh, he went off to write the episodes. And that's that's fantastic. I mean, that's just a fantastic. That's why partly why the show is so good <laughs> yeah. is it wasn't 
written and shot, written and shot. Right. It was all written as a piece, and then it was shot. And I think you could tell even from the very beginning, like right. this, we're at the beginning. This is like this is a full story. This is a well thought out story from start to finish. Well, there's that confidence yeah. in storytelling that you feel because every all the roots are planted so deep, and that's why so many things he was able to bring them back and bring them back in meaningful ways because he planned it all out in one piece yeah and you're not writing to meet a rating or an a, you know a critic or someone doesn't like this it's like no here's my vision it's all laid out it's a novel on screen is what he did oh, yeah. he yeah. wrote a yeah, novel so sad. Well said, and yeah. and put it on screen and, and it's interesting because it has it lays out almost like you could watch it like a full movie where there's an act one is like the first three episodes <laughs> or maybe the first two episodes and then you you have a, a, a very long act two and then Act Three would be the last two episodes. Yeah, a really, su- I think a really surprising choice the, and from the idea of like constructing a season is that you have like Stavros and his whole family and this whole storyline that shows up around like Episode Three, disappears in Episode Six, and you never see him again. Yeah, um, it's a very. And in, and I know I, I read an interview of Noah Hawley talking about how he was trying, like the movie Fargo, to sort of imitate the rhythms of real life and, de- like you said, not try to do a typical hero's journey. And yeah. I think that's part of what inspired some of these storytelling decisions to not, uh, you know, to not bring things back that you might expect to come back. You know, to just kind of follow interesting dead ends whenever that story ends, just just let it drop. If you need to take a year break, take a year break. Kind of whatever the story needs. Well, it's like. Uh he was talking about there's a scene where you know Billy Bob Thornton is locked in a room and next thing you know he's out of that room now if this was CBS they would make you um, have a whole explanation and a whole long thing about how did Billy Bob Thornton get out of the room right. now you just kind of have to trust he got out of the room the Coen brothers don't overly explain anything mm-hmm. it's where and, the term procedural comes from right yeah, you're watching the procedure of the of the mechanics of this all happening no you're you're watching <laughs> you're having to explain everything to satisfy by a development executive who's 24 years old and is told this is their job (laughs) but it's they're not it's so it's maddening so you go you're good storytelling is messy it has a messiness that is beautiful and that is actually where liftoff comes from and real story really great storytelling that's resonant is also layered with these specifics so you know a cbs show would say oh no one can relate to these people in fargo they're so weird look at their houses look at their clothes look at their hair and it's like no that's exactly when you fill a show with specifics that's when people get even more attached to it. Like, why should I care and, and empathize with Tony Soprano and his family? Because they live in a house in New Jersey that looks nothing like mine. They don't dress like me. They don't mm. eat like me. But I'm invested in who they are as human beings. Because I don't have to sit there and go, oh, their hair's just like mine. Oh, well, And then you judge a character. By the way, right. you judge characters who are made to look. All the, all the edges yeah. are are erased and they're all soft you know so it's like but no and they're not just archetypes right it's not just gangster and gangster wife and gangster kids you know? no yeah. no you get deeply you know tony soprano as a mother doesn't love him you right. know he yeah. takes her in the pilot he takes her a cd player and she's like practically throws it in his face he tries to dance with her oh my god he's got a scary mom yeah he does he hasn't been to therapy he goes to therapy he has panic these things make the character 
we sink much farther as a viewer into a character that is layered with specifics that aren't like us because all human beings actually are alike. So <laughs> the, it gets you there quicker. And what's beautiful about this show, about Fargo, what Noah Hawley did, and, and what the Coen brothers do, they always sink themselves into the specifics mm-hmm. of the world that they enter into. You don't want to sit and watch a show where everybody's <laughs> like you. You want, the, you want to yeah. turn on your TV, you want to go to your Netflix and fall into a world. Yeah. Right? No, it's true. It's not. You never want to be like, oh, it's hey, it's just like my life. It's exactly like my life. <laughs> you know, you, you're not watching Thirty Rock because it's like your life. You're walking, watching because these characters are insane and crazy, and they have a boss. Yeah. And you, do you know what right. I mean? That's so. What Noah Hawley did, and what FX gave him permission to do. That's the thing is they supported and gave him permission to do something this completely outrageous and it all worked mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it all works even if you want to quibble about what the ending is or if, if she's involved in it uh, yeah. enough it doesn't matter it's a it's a beautifully rendered satisfying it still feel it feels very satisfying by the end i think yeah. you, i think you could say that oh yeah, yeah. for sure i was oh so relieved although we were, the one thing that was not satisfying to me was lester because the fact oh, yeah, let's that talk, this let's talk guy, about Lester a little yeah, bit. Just I feel gets like we're to <laughs> run into a lake like that. He just did it to himself. It was the same thing as when he ran into the wall and knocked himself out. He was like, "Well, <laughs> I'm just going to run into this well, lake because you, you guys aren't going to come after me." Like well, it's always can, on his own terms. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of get really the, good point. You yeah. can kind of get the metaphor though, right? It's like he's uh, he skated too long on thin ice, and sooner or later it was going to break from underneath. Him. Yeah, no, that is true. <laughs> that part's true, and that part's obvious. But I think it was just. I, that part was not satisfying to me because I wanted Lester in a room and I wanted, I wanted like a trial for Lester. Like I knew that was not going to happen and it's, right. I'm glad that at least he died, but it's just like, it's always his thing. It's like his survival instincts that always kick in in these crazy situations. He's just like, I'll run on the ice because they're not going to come after me. And that's it. He just did it his way. Well, it relates a little bit actually to my one big hanging thread that I really wish they'd done. They'd paid at least some lip service to what happened to his brother. Is he just going to rot in yeah, prison? Yeah, he's just rotting in jail. <laughs> what about the brother? Yeah. I know. Well, I hope it, and I'm thinking now that they know this all happened, probably Molly will get the brother out of jail. I guess you, she has a tape. She has a tape. She has the tape, and you can assume he's out of jail, but you still want to know what this guy's life has been like for sitting in jail for a year or being falsely accused, That can accused, be one right? of the other uh, seasons. I know it's not going to be the next one, since the next <laughs> right. one we know, we know what goes the next back one's to 1979. Spoilers, but maybe they'll go and see his brother yeah. in another season. That'd be cool. Um, I... I get, I mean, Lester has become such a loathsome character by the end that you want to see him in a little bit more pain. Yeah. Uh, I think that, I think that there's something to that. Um, But what's interesting too, is you get, you get the Lester Malvo confrontation is really highlighted in these last two episodes. You've got, Mm -hmm. you're pitting your two antagonists against each other. So like when, when Malvo is sneaking into Lester's house and gets like his leg stuck in the bear trap, aren't you kind of rooting for Lester a little bit of that moment? No. Or were you not at all? No, I don't think so. Although I wasn't rooting for Billy Bob. It's like, who, whose hmm. side are you on in that That's moment? true. I don't know if I took a side. I thought the bear trap, though. Again, let's talk <laughs> about using violence well. Right. Yeah. And out, right out of the world oh, that yeah. they live in. Yeah. A bear trap. Which oh, was, my God. Which was planted very subtly but perfectly in the episode before when you see him like opening up the box of uh, his brother's hunting, hunting gear. gear. Yeah. You see it. It's, you know, it's the Chekhov's gun moment because he's taking the gun out, but very subtly it's Chekhov's bear trap, too. Yeah. Because that's also coming bear back. Trap, use the bear <laughs> trap. Use the bear trap. Use the bear trap. It's point, fantastic. Right? Yeah. It's a fantastic. And you know Billy Bob Thornton is not thinking about a bear trap, right? Yeah. No, that last is, thing he's expecting. Actually, you could actually get around this guy's mind. Yeah. The, um, I thought that Lester 
I wanted more from the death that actress who played his wife. Let's talk about her. For oh, the second yeah. wife. She, she's perfect. She's, she's so, so perfect in this. Yeah. Great. What a great actress, right? She's terrific. Um, I wanted more from. I think I wanted more from both of them at the end. And I, I mean, but this is. This is just me thinking, oh, you have this great actor. I want more. I did want to see him suffer more. Yeah. He's so long-suffering, but I wanted to see some new level of suffering yeah. to him. Like, some kind what? of like payback, though. Some like, sort right. of payback. But at least in that in that moment where he did uh, get the upper hand on Malvo, it's you root for him almost the same way you root for Roadrunner being Coyote. Beating right. Coyote. Even though Coyote is yeah. always the guy who loses yeah. that situation. I guess it's like, that's true. I think I was rooting more for Lester than it's for like, Malvo, but It's like you're just rooting for cleverness, you know? It's like you're... This, guy, yeah, this guy's great at just getting out getting win. out of these scrapes. Um, it's, it goes back to the fact all these all these episodes are named after different like logic puzzles or koans or little... And, and, and that moment where you see Lester solving uh, Pepper and Budge's logic puzzle in the car... It's like this is a guy who's just good at solving, instinctively good at solving these things and figuring these little things out. And for yeah. that reason, as an audience member, you kind of want to see him pull that off, even as you know he's like he's such an awful person. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, you feel so bad, you know, to to make him have. He grew up in that town. He was bullied as a kid. He right. was a wimp. He was a loser. You see that guy be really mean to him <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, early in the show, and you just go, "Oh, what a sad life you have." I mean, but and- then, but then he kills his wife with a hammer in the same episode. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, no, but I know what you're saying too, because you can you can understand how this character came to be for right, sure. You, you can understand. understand it. And and again, going back to the writer part of it, not the viewer part of it, as a writer how fantastic that you care you can make your audience care about a character who's also a killer so tony soprano's mom is really mean to him and the pilot but you love tony and you love Tony. (laughs) and you know at the end he drives his car around and breaks that guy's kneecaps because he hasn't paid that debt right yeah and then they you know they go follow him out there for ice cream and you know to that like over the water with that that anyway the point is is that you lester is someone that you you are Despite the fact that we are smart people um, and that we know killers are bad, we're sitting there going, oh, God, oh, look, he got the upper hand. Oh, yeah. you know, I mean, that's yeah. Noah Hawley. That's great work on his part. Oh, yeah. yeah. That he sucked really intelligent people into, into it that far. <laughs> and that we could still care about the guy even a little bit. Yeah, that's After true. he's so loathsome. Yeah. To go back to his wife for a second, because I do love the actress playing his wife, and um, I mean, she's so sweet and and so trusting of Lester, and so like this, she talks, she t- even talks about like I always had a crush on you, even when you were still married to Pearl, and like th- this is like your your perfect, this is like the perfect woman for you, you know, and you're and then you're literally centering it, you in, set her up, yeah, in, oh in, my god, in one of my favorite moments of the entire series. I literally the first time I watched that where where he's like you you know I don't want you to freeze put the coat on. on I was I was literally saying to my TV screen what the fuck yeah what the fuck man yeah that was just like in case you were starting to feel at all sympathetic yeah. for him that was just like a little reminder he's gonna throw his wife <laughs> into the line of fire and oh yeah. sacrifice God. her and she puts it up and she's like oh yep. you know it's yeah. really up. warm she's yep. all bundled she's up like, and, I love you and oh God God she's, Stu- it's just stomach turning moment you know she's so <laughs> dead and uh and then the, the way they shot the violence often at a distance and just uh, with no it wasn't pretty. It wasn't glamorous. It, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't glamorous. romanticized. It was awful. Yeah, it Ugh, was those pools always, of blood were always it was just always like haunting, awful me. and gross. Yeah. And you know, yeah, good. It's good. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, uh, 
you know, take it from the movie again. I think that very great, very real grounded approach to violence. Um, oh, one other scene I want to mention too. I want to talk. I the scene between Malvo and uh, Lou in Lou's diner. This very kind of elliptical conversation oh, yeah. they're having. I thought that character of her dad was incredible. Yeah, yeah. and the whole uh, concept of the diner—you know—it's—it's it's as old as the hills. It's uh-huh. you know, you, you put the restaurant where everybody goes, and yeah. everybody can sort of, and you know, and it wasn't the bar, or the strip club that we saw. Right. And uh, I thought that was there's some scenes that you could take right out of the script and put them on a stage in a play, and you know, you—that's like a scene you do in an acting right. class. Like, yeah, it's yeah. So well written. It yeah. re- no, it really is one of those because it's like. Malvo recognizes Lou. Lou recognizes Malvo. They're talking around it, but like they each know who the other is, right. basically. You know, and Malvo trying to hint at where can I get Lester in, and Lou just starts saying, "You know, hey, uh, I remember back in Sioux Falls. Were you there? There were bodies that were just like piling up." Yeah, yeah. Well, it was great too that I mean, and I wish I didn't know that. This is why I like to avoid spoilers in all in all ways. So there's the fact that I know what the next season is going to be about Lou. It's Lou, right? Yeah, about Lou and his time mm-hmm. or what you know his time period. That to me kind of spoils it because it would be so cool to have gone from season one not knowing that and then be like, oh yeah, because he was talking about like the Sioux Falls thing and it was starting to come up. So I like that his character started to develop a little bit more there at the end, mm-hmm. it, but it wasn't too overdone. So anyway, I like that that happened, but I wish I didn't know that the next season's going to be about him. I know you don't like being spoiled on anything. Yes, I don't. But but knowing that now, do you think that's a do you think that's a good setup for season two? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's I think that's well done because you start to see a little bit more of his character too. Because otherwise, you're just in the background, like, hey, I'm worried about you, daughter. Like, you know, right. be safe. And now it's kind of like there's more about his background in there too. Even if we never got a season two of that show, just that moment is enough to say, hey, this guy's seen some things. He knows yeah. like the face of evil. Yeah, he knows what show. he's he knows what he's looking at here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was like somebody with sense, which was really really. I mean, I know that Molly has sense too, but considering right. how Bob Odenkirk would be like, oh, <laughs> you're sure Lester lives right up on the hill, he'd be like, what? Yeah. So I love that Lou has this like deep common sense and good judgment, which was refreshing to see. But also, maybe he's like, uh, maybe she's married a, uh, a guy just like her dad. You know, maybe like <laughs> Colin Hanks has a background and a story, and he sort of tried to get out of cr- uh, you know crime and go into you know r- being a mailman. Yeah, <laughs> who knows who her father was and what his bet? Now he's just the guy in the diner. Yeah, yeah, and, that's true. You know, exactly. It's yeah. Like, oh my God, how did he? How, how violent was he, or what was he exposed yeah, to? Yeah, what did what, he see? What did he see that he's now choosing this, and she's got law enforcement in her blood? Because mm-hmm. it's a family business. People yeah. are, you know, generational cops, and uh, and they're yeah. they're generational criminals. Yeah, and yeah. They're, oh, that's they're, right. that's really true. Yeah. So, and they're pretty close together. They're the flip side <laughs> of the same coin. Yeah. Cops and criminals, two sides of the same coin. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They are. Yeah. <laughs> You know, violence, it's in the blood. Um, I love, I love, uh, I love Malvo's death moment. I do love that moment where Cus kills Malvo. Yeah. Even though, yeah, even where he's got like the blood dripping down his teeth. I love that he just wouldn't die. That was really, Mm -hmm. I was like, yep, you're not dying. He has to keep shooting you and you're going to keep looking up at him. And I mean, you just got to have to have one more horrible moment. Oh yeah. (laughs) But going back to Billy Bob, I mean, he was so good. He was so good in the show and he was so good in that scene too. Just like great. Yeah. Um, watching him reset his own bone with the rope and uh, I, I mean, definitely close my a very eyes. a very no country for old men moment. You yeah. saw Anton Chigurh doing that there yeah. too. Parallel, definitely a lot of parallels between those two characters. Yeah. But seeing, you know, seeing God of Skin went over on him. You know, even if Molly was removed from the action, I think that was a really sad, satisfying for his character. It was cool to see him, yes, take charge. 
Yeah. Even if from a law perspective, that does make him like just a murderer, right? I mean, I guess. That's what I was like. Yeah. I was like, I don't really know how criminal law works, but I'm pretty sure you're now a murderer. And I, I don't know what the excuse is for it, but uh, they'll work it out in their small town. I don't know. They will work it out. Yeah. His wife, it, well, I don't know. That's a really, he's that's not, a really good point. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Because he's a postman now, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe right. there's some sort of, you know, if you used to be a cop, then there's something you still, I don't know, some kind of allowance for it. I don't know protection waiver i have no idea yeah i mean ultimately well, his I, wife's the chief of police his I wife know. that is true so i think he's she's gonna but he's gonna be fine so by but. the book yeah she might put him through something I know. <laughs> we're putting you through oh, an no. agency oh, trial no. <laughs> and they'll have the new baby and oh right. no yeah and and uh yeah kind of hanging a lampshade on the whole thing in the very final moments where uh where she says oh that whole thing with Balvo, yeah that was your thing i get to be chief of police <laughs> and it's it's true you know she she gets a perfect happy ending she got the thing she wants most and that she completely deserves and she gets to be proven right in a very in a very satisfying way yeah. i ultimately thought bali had a satisfying end to her character yeah i think she did too though it's interesting because it became very like like because gus was sort of like not much of a man whatever the whole time like I right. think everyone kind of was like oh come on you're just like a postman and then it was it was a lot about like gus being the man after all which is like a little <laughs> cheesy but right it well, works <laughs> if you think about uh i mean i'm always going to the mind of the writer going he's a writer um maybe he's trying to sit who knows what his family's like but a lot of people uh don't understand what it is writers do or they think it's mm. kind of a a cheese ball profession if everybody's a lawyer and although <laughs> do you know noah has a twin brother who's a writer oh cool oh. yeah and his his twin you know, brother's write, a really successful writer writing kind of writing that. can run it's in like the family the epsteins, too <laughs> like the epsteins of casablanca they were twins Hmm. Were, i didn't know that yeah they were twins um so he wrote on the following and he wrote uh on something else really big so he i'd love to see them write something together yeah oh why aren't they the new <laughs> yeah, they, actually, they actually do need to write something together that'd be crazy yeah. oh yeah duh oh that's right yeah the coen brothers are two brothers who also write together yeah but they're it's not twins yeah oh my gosh yeah it's all coming together <laughs> oh my gosh anyway um you get a lot of uh the guys that I know that are writers and I've known a lot, they get a lot of shit from their family about being a writer, like they're postmen, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I part of me goes, oh, Noah Hawley really needed to have him be the. Cause oh yeah. He is. He's you know maybe that's who he's his he's closest to that character, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I or can see he that. just that's how it was all planned out. You know, was a guy was going to write a wrong that he felt he had potentially created or that's or, what i got i definitely got a sense of kind of you know the scales of justice being reset in that moment, right yeah you know? mm-hmm. yeah and that's okay it's just <laughs> she there's some we all wanted molly to go in there just the way marge did you know yeah. marge right. is all alone she has no backup yeah. at the end when she's there with the wood yeah. chop the wood chipper i mean she's that is so friggin' dangerous yeah and she nails them yeah, and she's pregnant. So I think part of us in our minds thought that that was going to be Molly. But maybe, in. but maybe it's good that it's not straight up replicating the ending of Fargo, too. You know, it's yeah. uh, well, maybe you're be, maybe you're expecting Molly to you know right. sneak into Balvo's house and kill him. Well, that could be why people griped about it because they had an expectation that wasn't met. Yeah, and, right. You know, right. people get so cranky, critics <laughs> and bloggers. Let me tell you, oh, when they're expe- oh God, shut up, <laughs> turn off your computer, go to bed. <laughs> well, I thought that wood chipper scene was going to be, be recreated when Gus was like 
scouting the house out and then right. i was like are we gonna find him at a wood chipper like this can't be the same scene and i was really happy that it wasn't because i was like okay good but it kind of set you up to kind of like look similarly like him mm-hmm. you know <laughs> going through the woods like there's a little house like what's right. in their house and i like that uh, Malva wasn't there or anything, so it set it up differently. And this this season, I think, definitely played spe- very specifically with a lot of tropes from the movie. You know, when she, especially once Molly becomes pregnant, it's like, okay, now you're straight up in the marginal. I right. don't think I don't think season two is going to do that as much. I have a feeling it's going to step a little bit further away from the template the movie established. Now that the TV show is kind of its own its That's own beast. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And notice that in the final episode, they brought back the original music. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they used an original, which is all, which is also our theme song. Well, they, they <laughs> used original music throughout the series, and then they went back to the Fargo film music at the yeah. very end. Which was, I thought that was great. It I was, per- was no, great. oh, it was great. perfect. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Was well I was, I was that so happy to hear is, that music again. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. but not that I don't also love the original music from this show, which is great at, at kind of at kind of coming up with the same tone and the same yeah. same feeling. No, I all the time watching it, I'm because I'm always noting everything. I was like, this, the sound was incredible. Mm-hmm. The music, the scoring was so good. Yeah, um, all the music, even when you know it's somebody's radio, was fantastic choices. He's obviously Noah, and then you know to cast a deaf character, right? You know, he's he's someone who is very aware of sound in his yeah. work. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, and we talked about it, I think, last time too, but also that entire uh, shootout sequence. Um, like the long shootout where you can't see anything, you're just hearing the entire thing. Yeah. Oh no, I'm not even talking about the blizzard one. Oh. Sorry, I was talking about where Balvo's kind of working his way through that building, and all you can see. Oh is the yeah, yeah, of the yeah, building. yeah, 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 it's yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, all done in sound. Yeah. Yes, a great, a great sonic storyteller. Maybe that is part of why I related to this movie so much. I thought, wow, you're using sound to tell a story in such an incredible way. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts about this episode or the series as a whole? I mean, I really loved it. I me can't. T- I, me too. I was like kind of surprised because for how gory it was, that always kind of like turns me off. Like just because it, it scares me a little bit, and I don't usually invest like that much of it's that gory. But I, I really liked it. I mean, yeah, there's a couple gripes here and there, but I thought it was really well done and very different from most TV that we see. So I think I he's impressed. a great writer. Yeah, I think he's such a so I mean, impressive. I, I want to just give this guy <laughs> some serious props in terms of the texture of the writing and the the opposites he would write with and and we were we were never ahead of the show no yes never, so that's such a good point ahead such a good no point. i never i never knew what was coming next i did yeah until the so very true. end i had no idea how it was going to end yeah, yeah. and that he could write a, a bob odenkirk monologue or he could write about the the, the just the the line about the gloves going out the window yeah. i mean yeah th- he planted these moments that are very much his theme i think which is there's a. It's about humanity. It's about are we going to love each other? Are we going to kill each other? I mean, really, it comes down to that. How are we going to treat yeah. each other? You know, what what's what is life really worth? What what makes life worthwhile? And he's going there without any sentimentality, and um, and within all this violence. So I always feel like none of it was meaningless. It was all purposeful in terms of the story yeah. which yeah. is also why Jackie that's why you love you love it yeah. when other shows you wouldn't have loved that were that violent because right because the violence isn't for the same purpose here mm-hmm. it's just like violence for the sake of violence because it's a cool explosion or it's a cool bone sticking out of somebody's arm or whatever and you also the, these characters are so flawed right. they're so flawed they, they're walking around not knowing things yeah. they're walking around making yeah. mistakes just the way all human beings do and you really truly don't know and it's mesmerizing because yeah. and you keep watching because you go I don't 
know how this is going to end. Uh-huh. And and yet, I mean, even your good characters, you think, hey, but you think, hey, maybe Molly's a little too aggressive sometimes, or Gus maybe shouldn't have shot in that blizzard, or whatever. These are not perfect characters, but you still see that that essential goodness is so well-defined, and it's such a perfect counterpoint to the very the very well-defined evil that you see going on anywhere. It's, def- it's a very real good versus evil story, and it's, I think, setting up those dividing lines strongly for a reason. Yeah, but it's good versus evil, but also evil creating more evil like with lester and right. then evil against evil yeah so it had a lot of layers to it too yeah very satisfying an interesting kind of meditation on the you know the nature of maybe even what is evil in the world and how do you res- what does it mean to resist that yeah well and what does life mean i, yeah. I it gets really deep <laughs> oh now, yeah Holly. i mean he's yeah. i actually feel like he must have i mean this is a total assumption but he fargo so represents his worldview and that he really wanted to write from his worldview mm-hmm. and that this was the perfect vehicle for him to take off from. And, uh, and he did, he did. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's fully satisfying. And even if you want to quibble about was Molly in that final moment, I just think we became so invested in that actress. I think that yeah. it's almost like took us down a road and plus, with the the original ending of the movie Fargo, we were kind of had that subliminally parked in the back of our minds mm-hmm. and didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's where finales are a weird thing, you know. Often, some shows, if they're you know, especially where you expect finale, the finale to kind of hold a lot of answers to the story you've seen so far. If the finale doesn't live up perfectly to your expectations, you might feel like it retroactively ruins the whole show. I know right. a lot of people felt that about the ending of Lost, for example. Um, this is a sh- this is a kind of show where I think even if you don't like perfectly how it ended up, you can still go back and you can still see how well how perfectly crafted some of the original plot moments were and just the building of these characters and their character arcs mm-hmm. you don't need it to wrap up perfectly to appreciate everything that came before has there been a show that wrapped up perfectly i mean think about it that was really a, a something that was a zeitgeist show that we talked about at the I mean, water could, cooler i mean i mean it could always bring up the shield which has one of the great finales of all time um but it's that. but it's really hard to do but I'll, even a lot of great shows can't quite pull it off i mean the sopranos to this day people are arguing about the finale of yeah the sopranos yeah yeah yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting to see the finale of Mad Men. <laughs> I know. It will. I'm so excited yes, for that. Yes, it will. I, 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 I think I know what it is. So, um, <laughs> Oh, like you actually know. Yeah. Ooh, so it's gonna, Don't tell us. But I, I don't know that's what they shot or not, because no, no one will confirm with me, but it was a discussion I had like eight years ago. Usually someone, you know, when you create a show, you know where it's going to end. You right. should. And... Uh, I think it's going to be like Don Draper in present day looking back on his life. I think it's going to be fast, Don, fast forward. Don Super Draper and uh, <laughs> what's this? What's her face? Betsy. Yes. Back together. Oh, you oh think? Betty? Not, Betty? Betty? Yeah. With like after idea. after all these years? <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't actually know what happened, but like there's always that subtext of them where it's like, I think they what's s- the deal with them? Well, I do think they still love each other. Exactly. They do. That's why I'm, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see mm-hmm. some of that happen. But this is not the Mad Men podcast. And we have <laughs> sorry, one more sorry, se- sorry. And we have one more segment to do. Let's do our final segment, which is where we have a little game loosely inspired by the TV show of the week. It's a segment called Raising Air Quizona. <laughs> So, when we did Fargo episodes seven and eight, because we had the episode at the long season long time jump, we ended up doing a quiz about the year 2013. That's right. Um, which I thought was a lot of fun. And so, because this TV show takes place in 2006 but ends in 2007, 
These episodes were in 2007. Um, let's do a little quiz about the year 2007. Oh, God. Okay. We are going to test your knowledge about some of the major world events and <laughs> top wars of 2007. Wrong. We're going to see how you guys do. Forget it. We both give up. We're throwing in the towel. This quiz is over. <laughs> let's try this out. Let's see what you guys can do. You guys were both around in 2007. Most of that long ago. We'll see. All right. Here we go. Question number one. What was Billboard Magazine's top song of 2007? Was it Umbrella by Rihanna, Crank That by Soulja Boy, or Irreplaceable by Beyonce? Uh, I'm going to say Umbrella. All right. Jackie goes with Umbrella. I'm going to say Umbrella, too. Ooh, so close, but no. Beyonce. Beyonce was on top, yeah. For that oh, year. Oh, man. Irreplaceable was a big song. Fine. <laughs> I'm going to get these all wrong straight up. We'll see. Let's find out. <laughs> all right. According to the United Nations, 2007 was the year of what? <laughs> I hate the United Nations years. Yeah. Did you know that United Nations like has a year of something every year? Right. All right. In 2007, was it the year of the dolphin, the year of ethanol, or <laughs> the year of water conservation? Could it have been ethanol? I was going to say ethanol, too, though. You guys both go in ethanol? I mean, I'm, yeah. You guys are wrong again. Uh, it was the year of the dolphin. Oh, no, man. Yeah. I feel like I always, like, as soon as we, I say, like, this is the answer, <laughs> I know it's going to be the other one, and then it is the other one. Oh, uh, I need so to close. train that. Which of these major world events happened in 2007? God. The first iPhone went on sale. The founders of Enron were found guilty of conspiracy and fraud? Or... Terry Shivo's feeding tube was disconnected. One of those things happened in 2007. What I hate is that all of these probably happened in either like 2006 or 2008. So, because that's how you make these quizzes to <laughs> right. confuse everybody. Ugh. When did the iPhone come out? It could have been the iPhone. You could take a gamble on it? No. I'll I go guess. with let's go with iPhone. Yeah, we're doing the same thing. iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can be wrong together. You, yeah, you, you got, I guess you guys are gonna be right or wrong together. I like yeah. that. Stick, yeah. Stick we're it together. A team. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually us against you in this all right. quiz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first iPhone went on sale in 2007. You Yay! guys are right. Yeah. <laughs> go team. Yeah. I know. I for some reason I, I would have thought it was less long ago. I feel like the iPhone's still pretty recent in my mind, but I guess yeah. It's yeah, been it's like been a while. Eight years at this point. Yeah. iPhone's okay. taken over. Mm-hmm. All right. Which of these people died in 2007? <sighs> Steve Irwin, Anna Nicole Smith, or Heath Ledger? Mm. Oh, my God. I think they all died that year. It's Only one of them one died of them in 2007. died in 2008. One died in 2006. Um, oh, my God. I'm trying to place all these deaths around, like, events in my life to try to remember, <laughs> like, where I was or what was happening. But I can't... Where were you in 2007, Jackie? I just graduated college. Okay. Yeah. No, I was here. Right. But, like, I had, like, a boyfriend. I broke up with a boyfriend. I don't know if these things happened. I'm going to go with Steve Irwin just because I have some memory of that. But I remember telling my kids about it. But that could have been 2004, 2002. I don't know. It could have been 2007, though. I'll go with that, too. Keep with the team theme. <laughs> Keep with the team? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? It's okay, All right. You know. Well, we're going to have a tie game, but that's fine. Uh, 
<laughs> no, guys, Anna Nicole Smith died in 2007. Oh, Steve Irwin, I think, actually did die in 2006, the uh, year before. Uh, okay. Fine. Yeah, Anna Nicole Smith's pill overdose. Super sad. Yeah. Um, question number five. What was the top-selling book of 2007? Was it Twilight, Ugh. The Secret, <laughs> or Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows? Oh, man, it could have been any of those. <laughs> was Deathly Hallows was the last one? Mm-hmm. Was I in college when that was out, though? I don't think it was Harry Potter. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't remember if Harry Potter I'm was going when I was in Twilight. college. I'm going with Twilight. I'll go with Twilight, too. <laughs> Fine. Fine. Okay. No, I like, I love turning this against you. Yeah, thank you. You finally found a way to turn this against me. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> um, guys, it was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Sold, yeah, in fact, it, it sold, a, sold 11 million copies in 24 hours. Oh, my God. That's so awesome. Yeah. I'm so happy for her. Just tangent. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. I'm, I'm just happy that, like, any book could sell that much at this day and age. Still see, is, kind of, is kind of crazy to me. Yeah. Well, it ain't over. It no. ain't over. It's true. Mm-hmm. Book's got a fun chance. Which of these entertainment stories happened in 2007? Britney Spears shaved her head. Ooh. Oprah removed James Frey from her book from her book club for lying about a million little pieces. Or the WGA ended their strike. Well, the WGA ended the strike. Oh, I'm gonna go with that because Margaret would know. You guys are wrong. What? It was in 2008 they ended the strike. No, the strike started in 2007 but ended in 2008. Ended in 2000. Oh well, damn! Because in 2007 I had a series that ended up getting taken off because of the strike and never came back. Stupid strike. Oh, screwed everything up. Screwed everything up. (laughs) Was it Britney? Yeah, it was pretty. Oh, man. My intuition, I'm telling you. Yeah. Sorry. You should have gone off your intuition. No, but I'm saying I have second. No, I have second intuition. You know what I mean? It's like once we say it, then I'm like, no, it's not that. And then he says it's not that. And I know it's going to be the other one. So we have to cut that segment. That segment is unworthy of the the genius of your show. Wait, we have four more questions. I I, I, want. I want to see what we always, do, it doesn't work. It does. It only it only doesn't we're work when you guys always pick the same answer. We're perfectly smart people, but you can't tell someone to go remember something. Dig it out of the recesses ago. of your mind. That's why we're protesting the quiz. All right, fine. Keep protesting. The, we're just learning facts about 2007 at this point. Back here. So, all right, guys, take a guess. What was the top grossing film of 2007? Was it Spider-Man Three, Shrek the Third, or Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Okay, I'm saying Shrek. I'm going to say Shrek. Too, uh, okay. None of these are me. Ass. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you can dis. You, if this you is want how you, I feel yes. every week. I'm like, I hate this quiz. Yes, you can quibble with the whole concept of the quiz if you want to. That's fine. It, it could just be. It's random chance. You just got to guess. But uh, listen, Spider Man 3 was the winner. Oh. Spider Man 3 truck racing film. I don't go Shrek- see the third film of anything. Like, there, it, there's no good can come of the third. Of Bo- three. Yeah. No, but they always do pretty well with the box office. They're just terrible creatively. Yes. Um, which of these weird news stories happened in 2007? Six severed feet washed up on a beach in Vancouver. Ooh. You guys might remember that. I don't remember um, that. The astronaut Lisa Novak drove across the country wearing adult diapers to pepper spray a fellow astronaut over a love triangle. Do you remember that? Yeah. I don't remember <laughs> that. What is shocking. And then uh, Falcon Heen, the so-called balloon boy who was supposed to be trapped in a helium balloon drifting across Colorado, found to be safely in his house the whole time. Now, this would be so much better if it was true or false, but I have no idea what happened in 2007, other than I know that we talked in a writer's room about 
the chick with the diaper because that was like, <laughs> so horrible. So that must have been the one. And that was in two, but that room was in two thousand eight and nine. So, mm. but that's a kind of event that you'd still be talking about in a writer's room, you know, like that. That's a kind of thing that you would have a very yeah. good yeah. discussion about. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking diaper. I mean, not diaper. The helium boy. You thinking balloon boy? Yeah. I'm I'm with Jackie. <laughs> You're with Jackie. All right. Fair enough. Well, no, it was the uh, adult rape type of triangle. Oh. Two more questions, guys. <laughs> Who won Best Actor at the 2008 Oscars? These are the Oscars that took place in 2008, honoring films from 2007. Was it Forrest Whitaker for The Last King of Scotland, Daniel Day-Lewis for There Will Be Blood, or Frank Langella from Frost Nixon? Oh, too bad Ronnie's not here. I know, I was just going to say. <laughs> um, I think it's Forrest Whitaker. I'm going to go with Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> Fine. Um, no, it was Daniel Day-Lewis. It'll be blood, 2007. I should have known that since I can do such a good impression of him. Your impression is oh, perfect. You, you it's can. spot on. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I keep do doing it. these like not warmed up, but that's okay. Um, <clears throat> if you have a milkshake and I have a milkshake and I have a straw and my straw reaches across the room into your milkshake, <laughs> I drink your milkshake i drink it up uh that was worth doing twice <laughs> two consecutive that was cold, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right well guys we have one more question left please try to do different answers so we can declare a winner that's no, all i want we like we like winning together against you <laughs> and i know you guys don't know this one if you guys are big fans of the teen choice awards oh no who, oh, man. who won best kiss at the 2007 teen choice awards the notebook was it Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom for Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest? Megan Fox and Shia LaBeouf for Transformers? Or Jamie Foxx and Beyonce Knowles for Dreamgirls? I don't know any of these. The only best kiss I know about is The Notebook. That's the only good kiss in cinema history? Uh, no, as a Teen Choice Awards. I'm pretty sure that's okay. the only one that stands out to my memory of like them jumping up and redoing the kiss. It was never over. It's still not over. That whole thing. <laughs> Would Megan Fox be in the... It seems like Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley would be more teen choicey, but Shia LaBeouf is a big teen. He's yeah, a big teen draw. Nickelodeon show. Yeah. Um, let's go with poor Shia LaBeouf. I'm going to go with that too. Fine. Fine, Jackie. <laughs> fine. Just screw me over. Just screw this whole to. thing over. See how it feels? <laughs> the opposite end of the hot seat. Now you're kind of in the hot seat. I guess I am. <laughs> well, you guys are both wrong. Just Aww. so you know, it was Keira Knightley and Orlando Bloom. Dang. Yeah, they had a very romantic kiss in that movie. Aww. I'm assuming. I <laughs> Isn't that it. sweet? <laughs> well, there you go. 2007. You what guys tied. Good tie. Because <laughs> we're a team. Right. We, one right. <laughs> we got one right. We don't know anything about what happened seven years ago. Or seven. eight years ago. Wow. Yeah, eight years ago. Well... Listen, guys, this was a really fun podcast. Margaret, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you for having and me. And chatted about Fargo and the TV making process and playing my ridiculous quizzes. I loved it. This was a great episode. This was awesome. Um, if you want people to check out 
projects you've done or want to find you online, where do you recommend they go or what should they watch? Um, go to margaretnagel.com and you can watch uh, The Good Lie, which is uh, mm-hmm. on iTunes. You definitely, and, you should definitely see that. That uh, was a, re- a really great movie. We had yeah. an A-plus cinema score, yeah. scored in 92. We had the worst marketing ever in history, but it's a great movie and we're doing great uh, with downloads and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And then um, episodes three and four of season one of Boardwalk Empire. Those were my episodes, and they were really fun to write. And, yeah, guys, you if you know, haven't gone back and watched dentist- season one of Boardwalk yeah, Empire lately, dentist- go check that go out. Watch, go watch Broadway <laughs> Limited and Anastasia are the names of those episodes. And then uh, I'm... What else? I did the pilot of Red Bands on iTunes, and it's pretty, pretty. Yeah, the pilot is great. Alfonso Gomez Rejon, who just won Sundance, was directed the pilot. Oh, sweet. yeah, it's it's good. Wait, he, what did he win Sundance for? Uh, Meet Earl and the Dying Girl. That was him. That was yeah, him. Yeah, that? Alfonso. Oh, I've heard really good things about that. Yeah, it's supposed to be amazing. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard a lot about Me, Earl and Dying Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great, and uh, he brought all of that to the pilot of Red Band, making it mm. an incredible pilot. He's he's so talented. So those were those were fun things, and then. I've got some good stuff coming up. So, all right, cool. Keep us in suspense, mm-hmm. Jackie. Uh, what about you? Um, you know, you can find me on the internet at certain places on Twitter, Maclean, <laughs> M-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E, and then on my Instagram, Full Metal Jackie with periods between the words. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And Follow me and stuff. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Radio TFB, and you can go to joshrichman.net for other goodies. And we got to wrap this up, guys, but thank you so much. This Yay! was great. Yay, That's so much for our... What's the next show you're going to do? I think we are about going to put out... Uh, it might be a mini episode. It's going to be some clips we recorded there. We might be able to record an intro or outro or something, but our experience at Lebowski Fest. Yeah, we just went on Friday. It and was gonna, fun. And you're going to oh hear all about yeah. it on the next episode, so stay tuned mm-hmm. for that. Until next time, guys. Peace and love. Peace and love.